kids can make your way back to Children's Church. <clears throat> do appreciate the good singing. I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to ask you to take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 5 right now. Matthew chapter 5 in your Bible. I'm going to read some verses and then we're going to sing one more song. Matthew chapter 5 will be our text for our message here in just a few moments. And I wanted to read through um, the first 11 verses of Matthew chapter 5. So you follow along while I read out loud. And then we'll sing one more song to prepare our hearts uh, for the message. So Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1, says this. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying... Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. These are all the Beatitudes. We'll just cover one of these today. We're going to sing one more song. We will have the words up on the screen. It's going to be Hallelujah, What a Savior. If you do want to sing one of the harmony parts, it's number 311 in your songbook. I know some of you are gifted at singing those harmony parts. And we'll sing the first three verses, and then we'll pray. Let's, uh, we'll, uh, piano's going to play with us. And so let's sing, uh, starting in verse 1 of 311. Hallelujah, What a Savior. Man of Gracious Father, we would turn to you with the request that you would allow each individual that would be on the receiving end of this message today to be blessed because of your perfect word, because of the teaching of the Holy Spirit, because of a message that very possible you might have for one that needs it so desperately today. 
I praise you that one of the names for your son is man of sorrows. I thank you for what that means for us as we walk in our Christian life. Give us wisdom as we study your word today. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When we talk about the ministry of Jesus Christ, and when we talk about his masterful teaching, we need to never forget the fact that he had a variety of individuals that were on the receiving end of those messages. Christ, the master teacher, oftentimes would have his disciples around him. And when he spoke, there was a message very specifically for them. And they're going to receive that in a specific way. Christ oftentimes had the sick around him. If you have someone who's performing miracles, they're going to have people from all over coming just to get the healing. So Christ had individuals in the audience that were the sick or related to the sick. When Christ spoke, he had individuals that hated him when he was teaching. You will see throughout the scriptures that there were some that would look for when he would slip up so they could catch him, so they could accuse him. They wanted to knock down his influence. They were worried oftentimes about their own position. It's interesting when you think of a a lesson that's being given or a sermon that's being preached. And it's interesting to think that there could be such a different message that comes in the actual audience that is there. And here is one way that I think Christ would have had in his mind, and I have to think about sometimes as well. When we give a sermon, and I give one sermon here on the Sunday morning, and oftentimes we have a variety of folks that are receiving that message, and one of the differences, a big, big difference between some of the listeners is some of you are men and some of you are women. Now, do you think that women will hear some things in a different way than men hear some things? All of you wives know for sure. Look at the wives elbowing their husbands out there. You know for sure that you will hear something different than your spouse. I was taken back not too long ago as I was talking with someone about a, a certain phrase that a woman was saying to a man. And here's the phrase the woman was saying. The woman said, sometimes you just got to have a good cry. And some of you women probably understand exactly what that means. And some of you men would hear that and go, what is that about? A good cry? That's an oxymoron, isn't it? There's no such thing as a good cry. And so we need to understand that oftentimes there are some that are hearing something different than the person right next to them. With that said, it is my prayer that everyone will be able to get the message that Jesus Christ is giving today, but I can't help but wonder if some of the women, females that are here, are going to be able to receive this a little bit easier. Title of the sermon is Happy Are the Sad, which is another one of those Christian paradoxes. And when we look into God's Word today, what we're going to find, a few different things, But hopefully this will be a blessing to you as we look into God's word and see that God makes available a comfort that can surpass any level of pain that you could ever experience. So no matter what it is, the worst individual in the world and the kind of pain that they could conjure up or the worst kind of pain that can come to a human being, we understand that God can give a comfort that surpasses that pain.
More specifically to our passage, we're going to see that when an individual has a relationship with Jesus Christ, there is going to be an initial mourning, and that mourning is M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, not mourning like night and day, but mourning like we are sad about something. So get that idea of mourning correct and understand that when someone has a relationship with Christ, there will be an initial mourning over their sin. When you recognize that the reason why the blood was all over the cross was because of you and your sin. I've heard the expression, someone came to themselves. It's this idea of realizing how much your sin was an offense to God and the incredible price that he paid. So there will be mourning when you realize what Jesus Christ did for you and you're turning to him for forgiveness. There's also the idea of an ongoing process of mourning, a continued regret or aching because of the sins that you might struggle with. All that to bring us to Matthew chapter 5. I told us last time that we're going to find um, a pretty easy breakdown for the first and the, the first and second point, the two major divisions in each of these beatitudes. And we see the role at the start, and then we will see the reward at the end. And so the role here is blessed or happy are those who mourn. I wonder if when Christ taught this, and I hope you remember that the audience, the main audience was the 12 that were with him, but there was a multitude that was there. And I suspect leaning in to hear what this master teacher and miracle worker had to say. And so I wonder what their reaction was when he says, happy are the sad, or blessed are they who mourn. Let's talk about this idea of mourning for a little bit. There are a few kinds of mourning, and we cannot deny them. In fact, one commentator says there are nine kinds of mourning that the Bible refers to. We're just going to look at three of those today that I think will be a help to us. And the first one is natural mourning. Natural mourning. This is grieving for something that you have lost or for someone that you have lost. There was something that you had. It gave you some joy, some happiness, and now it's gone. Anyone who has lost a loved one can understand this kind of mourning. I did a funeral just a couple days ago, and you could just see on the faces of the individuals the incredible loss that they were going to have. They were going through a mourning process. This is a natural mourning, and we're not going to be able to avoid this, and we should not try to avoid it. Jesus Christ, when he walked here in this world, he came across two of his friends, Mary and Martha, and when he saw them, Jesus wept. I don't think that in that story it was because their brother Lazarus had died. I think it was because he saw the pain they were going through. There is a natural mourning that we can experience. But I want to challenge us today that Jesus is not teaching about this natural mourning, okay? And so it might be easy to, to take that beatitude and, I mean, that's, that's pretty encouraging to a lot of folks. Anybody who's sad or mourning, you're going to have comfort and happiness. But that's not what Jesus is saying here, and I'm going to give you one reason why I know that. 
And I want you to hang on to this reason for our entire study through the Beatitudes. All of the Beatitudes that Jesus gives, everything that he gives is something that we are to be going after. Blessed are the pure in heart. We need to be going after that. Blessed are the meek. That's something that you and I should be going after as followers of Jesus Christ. And so when it comes to this one of mourning, and there are different kinds of mourning, we need to understand that Jesus is not referring to natural mourning here. Nobody would ever say about natural mourning that you need to go after that. Get as much of that as you can in your life, and that will lead to comfort and joy. Number one, natural mourning. Number two is sinful mourning. Sinful mourning. We don't talk about this one near um, as much, but it is extremely prevalent throughout the scriptures, and it's prevalent in so many of our lives. When we think about sinful mourning, the Apostle Paul gives us some good teaching on this in 2 Corinthians 7.10 where he says, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. That's this idea of sinful mourning. And we have a great example, several examples in the Bible, but let me just mention one for us this morning, this kind of sinful mourning. Many of you have heard the name King Ahab before. If you've had the opportunity to study the life of King Ahab, you will know that he was in a privileged position. King Ahab was the king over Israel. King Ahab had been given a kingdom by God, had been given an incredible palace by God, an incredible amount of servants by God. And yet, Just on the outside of his palace area, King Ahab saw a vineyard. And there was a vineyard there that caused King Ahab to mourn, to ache within, because God had not given that to him. You can find this story in 1 Kings 21, and I'm I'm not going to go through all the details, but let me just say this to, to get to our point. King Ahab pouted, to the place where it led to the owner of that vineyard. His name was Naboth. And it led to Naboth's murder. And it was because of that mourning. It was because of the word we use often today is coveting, which is one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not covet. And King Ahab mourned and he ached over something that God had not given him. This happens to us. We yearn, we want, we are driven by somebody else's life that they have. Somebody else's stuff that they get to enjoy. And we find that we are driven all the time at working towards getting some of that stuff. Keeping up with the Joneses is an expression that some would use. So sinful mourning. Clearly, Jesus Christ is not saying that this is the mourning that he is referring to. So what is Christ talking about? I want to challenge us with the rest of our time in talking about the kind of mourning that I believe Jesus is referring to, and that is a spiritual mourning. There is a mourning that happiness will be a result of it, 
And there is a mourning that there is guaranteed comfort when we go through that. And just to cut to the chase, and if you have a study Bible, it probably says this somewhere in there about mourning. Blessed are they who mourn. This is when we are sorrowful over our own sin. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. We mourn over our own sin. Now, I mentioned earlier as we were approaching that song that there are a couple times that we need to think of this. One is that initial salvation experience. And I'm not big on you have to know the day or the date or even the month necessarily. But there should be a point where you realize that all you're learning about what Christ did was for you. And so you are taken back to the point where you would mourn You would mourn over your own sin that Christ had to die on the cross for that sin. That's one part that's going to be there. But I believe also that we see a continued process that is going on as we study this. Sorrow over our sin against God, yes. And the big question as we approach this spiritual mourning is this. What can we know about spiritual mourning that's going to qualify us to be blessed. Jesus puts each one of those, uh, in each one of those beatitudes, he puts the word blessed in there. You can be blessed, you can have joy if you do this. And so how can we get there? Well, I want to give us three, um, three uh, marks of spiritual mourning. Three marks of how you can look at your mourning and see if, this is, if you're on a road to being blessed or not. The first mark is spiritual mourning rises from humility. Spiritual mourning is going to rise from the child of God from a place of humility. If you heard the message on the first beatitude, you will connect that this is closely tied to that. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Or as we talked about last time, blessed are those who have a bankruptcy of their own self-goodness. They're not bringing their own spirituality to the cross. They're not bringing their ability. They're not thinking that God's team is going to be so much better if they accept Christ as Savior. It is bringing nothing, a complete bankruptcy of anything of myself. And this is where we have to start. If you can remember that latter illustration from last time, it has to be a low rung where we start. And if we start with this idea of a bankruptcy of self-goodness, everyone should be able to get on board with that. You will mourn not only over your sins when you're first converted, but you will continue to mourn with the things that you struggle with, the things that are sin in your life. And the Apostle Paul, if I can reference him again, is one of the best examples of this. Paul is the hero to many of us, and yet the Apostle Paul writes in the book of Romans, for I do not the good that I want, but but the evil that I do not want is what I keep doing. And many of you are familiar with that passage because you're encouraged by that passage. I know I am. Well, good. Paul struggles with this. The things that he wants to do that pleases God He's not doing them near enough. The things that he's trying 
wrap up and put an end to that because that's not what God wants in his life. Those are the things that he is struggling with. And so a humility is where this spiritual mourning is going to come from. Not that you did it, but that God continues to work in your life. The second mark of spiritual mourning is that spiritual mourning is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. This is something, it is something that is genuine. It's not someone trying to figure out how to get ahead. It's not someone trying to figure out how to make things go the smoothest necessarily. But it's someone who genuinely from their heart is convicted. They recognize their sin. And there is an agreement with God about their sin. Because God is grieved by our sin. God sees this choice that we make and he wants us to agree with him. Now, I want to ask you to turn in the Old Testament back to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel 15 is going to be an example that we're going to give that talks about this spiritual mourning being a matter of the heart because it might be that you have seen some people that gave an apology. One of my favorites is these athletes that go on television and they say something like this, I'm sorry if you were offended about that. Isn't that almost a smack in the face to someone who's been hurt and bothered? It's not really that they're sorry for it. 1 Samuel 15 is going to be an example that we see that is similar to this. I'm going to jump around a little bit, but I want for us to read um, starting in verse number 9, and let me give you some background. Here we are coming into the Old Testament history, and we have Saul as the king of Israel. Saul is given the instruction by the prophet Samuel. That instruction came from God. And Saul is told that he needs to completely wipe out all that the Amalekites had. So they are just now entering into the promised land. They have got to go. Well, no, no, they're already there. But they're going to be fighting with the Amalekites. And there is some instruction that is given that says wipe out all the Amalekites have. Now, As Saul goes into battle, God gives the victory. And that leads us up to verse number 9 of 1 Samuel 15. We'll read down through verse 11. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatted calves and lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they they devoted to destruction. And the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. All right, so did you see it there? Where it said, God regrets that he made Saul king. So there's something coming that's going to be a pretty big deal when it comes to who is running the nation of Israel. And God tells Samuel right here, this is not going to continue. And while Samuel had the wonderful task of introducing Saul as king, now he's going to have the task of telling Saul that God is removing his hand of blessing away from you. So this is the story that we find. And then... When we see God has rejected Saul as king, look in verses 24 and 25 with me. Where it says, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord 
and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And I'm convinced that when Saul said this to Samuel that he had a very long face. And I'm convinced that he was doing his best to convince Samuel. But I want to make the case that his heart was not in that. The fact that he was saying, forgive my sin, I am sorry. I don't think he genuinely meant that. I think that he is just doing a little bit of damage control. That's what's going on. And then Saul, very, very soon after that, goes to Samuel and he gives a request of him. And that's where I see very clearly that Saul's heart was not in being sorry. And we find this in verse number 30 of 1 Samuel 15. Where Saul says, it says, Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. So understand, he said that he was sorry. But I'm suggesting from what we find in God's word that if he had not been caught, that his spirit and his attitude would have not changed at all. There had not been a change of heart. And brothers and sisters, when you have a sin in your life, there needs to be a spiritual mourning. And that does not just mean that you check a box of saying I'm sorry to God. It means that your heart is in agreement with how God feels about that sin. Spiritual mourning comes from the heart. And I need need some of you to pay very close attention to what I'm going to say next. This is why individuals that will struggle with an habitual sin, a sin that someone has, child of God and they know it's wrong and they keep returning to it and they keep returning to it and they keep returning to it and if a child of God is not careful they will get to the place where they are so cold and they understand that God's mercy is everlasting so if I'm his child he'll always forgive me and yes that is true but don't you understand that Christ said blessed Incredible joy and happiness comes to those who mourn over their sin. Not those that check a box so that now I've asked forgiveness for that sin, confessed it to God. No. Those who agree within their heart. This is the spiritual mourning that Jesus is talking about. There is something within you that has to see the beating of Jesus Christ connected to your sin. There's something within you that needs to see the incredible price that God the Father gave, sending His only begotten Son so that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish in eternal hellfire but have everlasting life. And when you mourn over your sin, that sin that calls to you, that sin that you've asked God to forgive you of a thousand times, 
When you mourn over that sin, you are coming into agreement about your sin. This will involve the heart. Spiritual mourning comes from the heart. And habitual sins that plague the life of the believer, if an individual is simply just saying, yeah, sorry, sorry, I knew I was going to say sorry before I committed it, sorry, check in the box, God. Be very, very careful because the happiness that is promised by God in the second beatitude is not going to be accessible. And the individual that finds themselves themselves constantly defeated in their journey with Christ is one who very possibly has not understood this. So they just figure they're going to have this habitual sin until Jesus comes back. But I want, we're going to get to something in just a moment that's different, that lets you know that you don't have to struggle with it until Jesus comes back. That takes us to the third mark of spiritual mourning. Spiritual mourning is infused with hope. This, and this is different than what anybody else has. Those who are doing the kind of mourning that Jesus is talking about are followers of Jesus Christ. And it is only the child of God that can mourn and at the end of it have hope accessible to them. Now I might surprise you here with what I'm about to say. Maybe, maybe not. You might not be surprised when I say that Christians are going to mourn over their sin. That might not surprise you because some of you would raise your hand and say, that's me. But it might surprise some of you if I were to say unbelievers, those who have not been born again, many of these also mourn over their sin. And some of you might be thinking of some verses right now to debate that. Hold on a second. Unbelievers are mourning over their sin? Well, are there consequences for individuals' sins? Just go down to the jail. You think they're mourning over that crime that they committed even if they don't know Christ? Absolutely. But there is a huge difference, all the difference in the world. There is a huge difference between the one who does not know Jesus Christ that mourns over their sin and the one who knows Jesus and it has to do with God the Holy Spirit and it has to do with the devil. I think they're involved in both of these situations. We can see what the devil does with individuals that have not been born again that are mourning over their sin because they might mourn over their sin and regret it and ache and in the end, for those who do not know Christ, there is no hope whatsoever. And so the devil sees them and he will bring them to an end of themselves and in the end for them there is absolutely no hope. I can give you an example of this in the New Testament. We won't turn there but one of the big surprises as we read through the story of Jesus is the disciple Judas. Did Judas mourn over the fact that he betrayed Jesus Christ? Shake your heads yes or no. Yes, he did. Judas hated that afterwards. He had that money in his hand. He went to return that money, trying to do whatever he could to make up because it was eating him alive. He was mourning over this incredible sin that he had. And did Judas find any hope in forgiveness or Jesus Christ? And the answer is no. 
he went out and hung himself. Those who do not know Christ can be brought to an end of themselves, but they will never, the devil will never bring them to a place where they have hope in Christ. Okay, now let's switch gears. The Holy Spirit that works in me and works in you, if you're a Christian today, the Holy Spirit will bring you to an end of yourself. That's that morning. But when you get to that place where you are at the end of yourself, there will be hope. As one of my wonderful friends and counselors said to me years ago, he said, Jer, there is always hope for a Christian. And I love that picture. I love that idea. When we think of the individual that does know Christ, what do they have? What do they have? The devil will bring them to an end. I guess they can sing the sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow there will be sun. But is that really going to give them hope? I guess they can turn to whatever vice pacifies the pain. But is that going to give them hope in the end? It will not. All right, we've got just a little bit of time to go over the second part of this message. I'll be faster, I promise. We're going to talk about the reward. The role, blessed are they who mourn. The reward, they will be comforted. This is what Jesus Christ says. What places do non-Christians turn to to be comforted? So the person who does not know Christ, where do they turn to? They might turn to a bottle. Have you seen someone do that? They might turn to the ladder of success in their workplace. If I can just do this, then that will pacify my sadness, my mourning. Maybe some other vice. Let me tell you this if you have not yet learned it about our enemy, the devil. The devil is the greatest counterfeiter in the history of any counterfeiters. What the devil does is he will take some things that even look to be good things and he will take those and try to make those a substitute for grace, a substitute for forgiveness. And I want to tell you this morning that any comfort apart from God is not a lasting comfort. It does not last. So somebody can go and eat that comfort food you know, macaroni and cheese or whatever it might be. But that's not going to pacify your major problem. And someone can nullify their pain with a bottle or a drug or some other kind of um, vice. And that's not going to take care of the problem. All right, well, it's kind of negative. What in the world can comfort those who feel the weight of their own sin. Or better, who in the world can comfort those who feel the weight of their own sin? And we sang it earlier, the first three words of that song that we sang right before the message. Another name for Jesus Christ is Man of Sorrows. Is that an odd name for Christ? Maybe it's not your favorite. I like Messiah. I like Savior. I like Redeemer. Maybe you've got another name for Jesus Christ that's your favorite. Or perhaps, if you're one who's struggling with habitual sin, 
this idea that Jesus Christ is a man of sorrows is going to be a special name to you as we move forward. Now, it begs the question, what, it, what, what did he mourn over? Jesus never mourned over his own sin, and that's what I'm telling you he's preaching about today. Blessed are they who mourn over their own sin, they shall be comforted. Spiritual mourning. Jesus never mourned over his own sin, but did Jesus mourn? Did he ever mourn? Do we find a record of that in the Bible? Isaiah 53.3 says, He was despised and rejected by man, men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. What did Christ mourn over? Well, we know when we read his life story that when he was approaching Jerusalem, he wept. We know that when Christ was approaching the cross and your sins the payment for your sins. He wept in the garden. Isaiah 53 goes on to say, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And so, the Holy Spirit who resides inside each daughter and son of God, the Holy Spirit comforts the person who mourns by making what Christ purchased available to you. What can we do with this? How do we apply this to our life, this short little verse? Well, first of all, keep short accounts with God about your sin. Let me encourage you to keep short accounts. Don't let a second, a minute go by without agreeing with God that that was wrong and asking for forgiveness. The devil wants you to buy into the fact that there's only so many times God will forgive you. He will forgive you, but it's so important to our Christian walk that we keep short accounts with God. And so if you know somebody who's got an ongoing sin, encourage them with this challenge. Keep a short account with God. Keep that line of communication open. That clarity of his leading in your life that gets so muddied if we have sin that we're carrying around. What else can we do? Hold on to this truth. There is hope that is tethered to any mourning that can come your way in this world. We sang the word fetter earlier. Same idea as the word tethered is to be tied to something. When you think of something that's tethered, what comes to your mind? Maybe you think of a tetherball game with this string with a ball on it, but that string can break. Maybe you think of some kind of a boat out in the water and there's a chain or a rope connecting that to an anchor down low, but that can break. Child of God, understand there is absolutely nothing that can ever break that connection that you have with God if you've asked him to be your savior today. And so hold on to this. There is always hope. There is always hope. When I hear about the Christian who gets to the place where he believes there is absolutely no hope in his life, hold on to this truth. Nothing can take away your forgiveness and nothing can take away that relationship with Jesus Christ. There is always hope. As Jesus Christ teaches, we now see that what is true of the Christian is this, sorrowful, yes, we will be sorrowful in our life and yet we can be rejoicing at the same time. What do you know of that?
Let's pray. Gracious Father, how wonderful to know that the change that you make in my life is so sweet and so special and so strong that it'll be a blessing to me, but one of those huge blessings is that nothing can take it away. I praise you for your power. I praise you for your incredible knowledge, and I praise you for your love and what you've done for me. I thank you for your son, and I thank you for how he taught years ago. And he told us, blessed are they who mourn. And I do look forward to a day when you will wipe away all tears from our eyes when we are in heaven. But until then, Father, would you allow us to obey this command of Christ, to mourn over our sin, to understand that we do not have to stay in a state, we do not have to continue with that sin, but you can give us victory over it when we agree with you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, this is a chance for you to pray this morning. Really, there's been two directions of the message. One is individuals that have mourned at one point over their sin and accepted Christ as their Savior. Perhaps you're here today and you're not sure you're on your way to heaven. You're not sure you're saved. Right now, in the next few seconds, you can pray and say, God, forgive me a sinner. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins. Make me your child. And a simple prayer like that, if from your heart, will put you into God's family. Perhaps you're here today and you have a sin in your life that it doesn't feel like you agree with God about. Pray about that. Ask God to open your eyes.